Like, I know you want to know that you're not the only mom who is going through this. I think that we can go beyond despondency, anger, rage, because we have other humans that we can reach out to for support and healing. Have you been following the digital platform, Not Safe for Mom Group? It is an incredible space, free of judgment, where moms actually talk about the things we're all thinking, but maybe we don't feel like we can say out loud anywhere else. One of the things I love about this platform is that it is so relatable. It doesn't romanticize parenthood, and yet it it doesn't catastrophize it either. It just provides a real, honest, and raw look at what it is to be a parent today. And all of those same adjectives, real, honest, and raw, can definitely be used to describe the conversation I had with Not Safe for Mom Group's founder, Alexis Barad Cutler. Alexis is a journalist, community builder, and moderator whose work explores intimate truths behind the motherhood experience. Most recently, she co-founded Chamber of Mothers, a collective movement to focus America's priorities on mothers' rights. And we'll talk a bit about the big waves they're making inside this episode. So here is my conversation with Alexis. Do you sometimes feel that while you love parenthood, it's also overwhelming, messy, confusing, and not always exactly what you thought it would be? Do you wish that you could stop worrying if you're doing it right and just feel confident trusting yourself? Let me clue you into one of the best kept secrets that I have discovered through my own clinical practice and my years as a mother. When you understand the basics of child development, psychology, and neurobiology, you are able to work with your child's brain and body rather than fight against it. You develop a true sense of confidence and you feel in control knowing that you're prepared to navigate whatever challenge parenthood might throw your way. And that is exactly why I created The Authentic Parent, finding your confidence in your child's first year. Whether you're a brand new parent or maybe you're thinking about how to approach a second or third child with a different set of skills, this six-week course will arm you with all the knowledge you need to feel grounded and confident in your parenting journey. Enrollment is limited, so make sure to sign up for the waitlist now. Go to my website, drsarahbren.com forward slash TAP to sign up and learn more. Let's increase your confidence and help you create a strong parent-child relationship to use as your parenting compass. Don't miss your chance to take part in The Authentic Parent and learn to confidently move through parenthood during your child's first year. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, I'm so thrilled to welcome Alexis Barad Cutler to the to the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. And it's really nice to see your face in real life. I know. I know because we know each other audio only. We are internet. We are audio friends. I know. It's a, that's a weird thing to be in 2021. But yeah, I feel like that's like walkie talkies from like. It's analog. Yeah, it's very analog. So to clarify, to to loop people in, we met on Clubhouse back in that brief moment of Clubhouse excitement. It was really ex- an exciting time where like some new platform came along and we're like, this is it. This uh-huh. is the new Instagram. It's the new Twitter, the new TikTok. It's going to take over. We're all going to make money this way. Sitting <laughs> <laughs> on our couches and drinking wine, talking. That was my favorite part about it. I was like, I am in my pajamas talking to moms. This is the best. <laughs> my kids are sleeping. It was like the after hours life. It was really fun. Yeah. For a second. 
but it was for a second, but you know what? It was like an important second. It like had to happen. I needed it. I feel like we all found like this, this is to, like, if anyone doesn't know what clubhouse is, it was like, it's this sort of new platform that kind of had a moment and then it kind of, I don't know, it's still around and people definitely use it. But I think there was like this weird little sort of perfect storm where it got a lot of publicity. People really joined. And then, um, all the moms went on it and we were like all the moms in like the media and, you know, sharing parenting resources, professions kind of coalesced for like a hot second. And like to give some color, Alexis runs, um, this amazing group called not safe for moms group. And it's, it's a platform where basically she tells the stories and helps give voice to people who, who've have a really intense story that's literally not safe for moms groups, like taboo stuff and, you know, dark stuff and scary stuff and really amazing stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's powerful. And so, you know, I was really drawn to what you were doing on Clubhouse because we were just talking about like real stuff in these like rooms and in our pajamas drinking wine after our kids went to bed. And it was like, I looked forward to just like shooting the shit with you guys. Mm -hmm. And then, and like, that's how we connected. Like we, I don't know how else we would have ever. Maybe I'm sure we would have crossed paths because we know so many of the same people. Um, but I think that the reason why so many mothers were drawn to clubhouse was because we were especially isolated Mm -hmm. at the time. And this was towards, I don't want to say the end of the pandemic, but it was before things started lifting. And yeah, first wave. Like and as things, yeah, and as things started lifting for some people, mothers still maintained that same quarantine feeling mm-hmm. for a really long time. And many of whom are still in that same purgatory because of their young you know, the, the young people that they look after who are still extremely vulnerable. And uh, that feeling has really never gone away. And Clubhouse was a, a really nice opportunity to feel connected in real time. Yeah. That you were able to like talk to strangers like live and then yeah. also be heard at the same time because we also want our voices heard. So it was just this really nice real life meetup. Um, mm-hmm. that gained traction and then people lost interest because they all went back to work in an office and saw, you know, got that feedback, not mothers, but <laughs> other people. And, um, so there's probably like a bunch of still like very active moms on clubhouse, but, um, it, I think it kind of died down after that. Yeah. And like business people, I don't know. It seems business to be a big people. marketing. The people who do like sales and stuff mm-hmm. feel like they're still on there. Yeah. It's just not as hot as it was. Yeah. I'm not, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. It had, it was a moment. It was, and that was, that was what it was. And it was a good one. And I feel like my favorite thing about it has been the, like the interesting relationships that I was able to kind of cultivate with, you know, individuals like you who are doing really interesting things that, and now like we're having a podcast episode because we connected on that platform and now have a relationship that I'm and and I know the stuff that you're doing. Like I know about it and I love it. So I wanted to, I, that's really why I wanted to invite you on today was to talk and share. Not only do you have amazing insights from the Not Safe for Moms group platform, but you've also created the Chamber of Mothers, which I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, but I think, I think it's all kind of interrelated, all the stuff, the, mm-hmm. the topics we are having on Clubhouse, the, the stuff that you do with Not Safe for Moms group and the Chamber of Mothers, it's all the, like the themes, the common threads there is empowering sure. women, giving them a voice. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been really lucky in my work in the motherhood space to meet some very powerhouse women and um, some of the women that I have connected with over the years have become my closest friends. And um, and a few of those women and I got together and we got really mad. Uh, I think a lot of great things come from women getting really mad. Um, when we heard that paid leave was at risk of being uh, pushed out of the Build Back Better bill. Um, and we got together and we said, well, you know, we want to make some noise. Um, what if we formed something that was modeled after, um, 
you know, the that was modeled after one of the biggest lobbying groups in the U.S. And we called it the the Chamber of Mothers instead of the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> and um, and then we said, like, let's get let's try to get a million women involved a million everyday women, mothers, and see if we can make them feel like every single person here could be an activist and use their voices and feel like they can be deputized to help in this effort. We're not just going to like post on social media. We're, we're going to mm-hmm. actually take action and action can look like a lot of different things. And, um, we, and then we were able to connect with like 30 other women in the motherhood space who were like, yes, we want to join. And they became founding mothers in the chamber of mothers. And, um, and so the goal is to be a, a coalition um, that is supporting existing advocacy groups who have been mm-hmm. doing this work for a really long time like Paid Leave for America, Paid Leave US. And we're working really closely with these groups who have, um, you know, ears to the White House, ears to the ground um, with, you know, what's happening with senators. And they keep us apprised of what's going on. And then what we're able to do is kind of be like the rogue, um, renegade people out on the street saying whatever those groups can't really say. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very in line with what I do every day in non safer mom group, which is saying the things you can't say out loud. Yes. Um, so we can be like a little bit more naughty, um, <laughs> and be like, we're looking at you. Uh, it's like the it. Lincoln project, but yeah, for- <laughs> yeah. We're like, we're not going to take this anymore. We're sick and tired, you know? Um, and we can, we can cause a scene and yeah. And it's been really powerful because we know we've heard from these groups that what we've done has worked. Um, we weren't we weren't able to save paid leave uh, yet. Um, yet, but but we know that that our voices were heard by the White House by the senators. They saw the effect that this you know social media uprising took and they heard the calls that so many women uh, put in to their senators mm-hmm. and it made headlines and they're like, oh, okay, like we don't want to piss off moms. Like no. we need the mom vote. <laughs> Everybody should remember, <laughs> nobody wants to piss off their mom. And we said basically like, we gave birth to you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like we can get you, we can push you out too. Yes. So I think that that those messages were really, really strong, and um, and it's been a, a it's been a wild ride. And you know, my side of it is not the politics side. We have some really uh, phenomenal women who are much better at speaking to the um, the legal, the politics. Um, I mean, that's why I love working with a team. Um, but I I'm really. I like do, being the wordsmith and the creative and the branding um, mm-hmm. and and getting sort of the emotional hook of things. So uh, I really loved being a part of this and helping give birth to it. Um, and I really hope that we can make a difference in 2022 because yeah. uh, it didn't happen yet. It didn't happen yet. And I'm curious your take on like, First of all, why this movement was so important because it, and it still is, but yeah. why this didn't, this came at a specific time for a specific reason. I think yes. that, you know, and I've, we've had a couple other episodes on the podcast where we've talked specifically about how COVID impacted mothers and parents in general as a population in a uniquely profound way. Um, there were many groups that were, profoundly impacted by COVID and parents are one of them because of their, just their vulnerability from like a stress model. Um, There's something in psychology called the stress diathesis model, which is basically that like a stressor is the thing that pushes something over the edge that was already there, but, but, but it's the stressor that actually creates the presentation of the issue um, of the 
pathology of the, the depression or the anxiety or whatever you have it. So like parents were already in this stress pressure cooker before COVID because our country in general doesn't do the best job supporting parents, pandemic completely aside. And then when you put a pandemic and you layer that on top of it, it's like you can't, it, it collapses mm-hmm. what, what was already brittle and fragile. Um, and I think that's why parents and mothers especially, I mean, you look at the, and I'd be very curious your take on like why and how moms in the workforce were affected so so intensely by COVID in a way that, that, you know, men were not, fathers were not, but parents in general, like the systems that we rely on, childcare, um, any type of health access that wasn't like non-urgent, like kids not getting vaccinated. Like there's just so many things that we, we relied on that kind of crumbled community, like Mm -hmm. being a village, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there. Um, the system already was not working. And then COVID, I think, brought all of that to the surface in a way that we couldn't ignore anymore. And I think, um, you know, when we talk about paid leave and um, and things like Build Back Better, we're not just talking about parents, we're talking about all kinds of caregiving. Mm-hmm. And what the pandemic did was it highlighted how important caregiving is in general and care for um, people in our family who are sick, people in our family who are immuno- immunocompromised, people with disabilities, with chronic illnesses, the elderly. Um, you know, this wasn't just about moms, although of course we really care about moms and, but we have a, we have vulnerable folks in our society who need care and who our system constantly fails. We have people who don't have access to many, many things like healthcare, black and brown folks who have always been uh, let down by the system. I mean, access to basic educational needs, that was the first to go, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when we went virtual, it was the more well-off areas of the city in New York. The kids were fine. They had internet, right? You know, they had laptops. And then there were kids that literally had nothing. <laughs> no not internet. only did they not have the actual technology that they needed, but they didn't have the sort of support from adults because oh, then, the adults that, had yeah. to go and be frontline workers or go help in ways that they couldn't supervise their kids or were taxed and were working. I mean, everybody was taxed and working from home and doing everything they could, but there is a unique population of under, under supported kids. Underserved, under supported. It was, it was like an intersection of every failure. Yes. From a psychological perspective, I think those kids are going to have some of the biggest fallout from this, from a mental health lens, like from an attachment, from a self um, development lens, like, because in order to sort of develop healthy self-esteem and a healthy sense of self, um, you need to have healthy relationships with adults in your life. And it, and it, this is not very, very clear here. This is not because their parents didn't want to, or couldn't give them that, um, it was because because of the pandemic and the situation that was sort of forced upon these families, the parents were not able to, mm-hmm. despite, I'm sure, a tremendous desire to be able to support these kids in this Zoom education and this virtual education. Because we're like left all by themselves and many families to kind of figure this out on their own. And they didn't. They couldn't. And so they didn't go to school. They didn't have any support. They were very isolated. That's not healthy. And it's damaging. It's it's really scary for a yeah, lot of these kids to come through that. So I was like, it was a really rough time uh, for, for moms. And I, that's an understatement. But, um, you know, I was listening. I, I receive stories. What I do on Not Safe for Mom Group is um, I allow, folks are able to write to us, uh, me, and I have, um, a small team of, of mostly stay at home moms, working moms, and they're working between like breastfeeding, changing diapers, 
bringing kids to doctor's appointments and then they squeeze in like a 30 minutes here and there. And that's team mom group is what we call ourselves. And, um, but at the time during the pandemic, I, it was just me and one other person and I was receiving hundreds of messages a day and it would be like, so I'm being forced to go to work and my kids in virtual school and I basically have like, you know, the baby monitor on them Mm -hmm. so I can watch them. Mm -hmm. And they're not like even like old enough to be left alone, but the mom didn't have a choice. She had to go to work because her employer didn't really give two shits Yeah, that she had a kid who was home. You know, there were, there were women being forced to make impossible choices Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the beginning before like everyone went home. Um, and they had to do everything at once, which is impossible. Yeah. Um, and, and employers didn't care that you had to take care of multiple children and look over their schoolwork. And there was no system in place yet. Like there was no, I, how are we doing virtual school? Everyone was just flying by the seat of their pants and, teachers didn't know how to do virtual school. Right. This was a learning as we go kind of thing. Kids had never done Zoom before and mothers were going insane and breaking down and were, I mean, it was like panic attack after panic attack. How am I going to do this? And this is before we knew what we were in for. Yeah. I remember because it was because there was this huge layer of fear wrapped over all of this that you're describing too. Because I think if this were to happen now, the same issues would still arise. Like parents would have to refigure out, how am I going to be in two or three places at once? And it would be very, very stressful. But I don't think we'd be as scared as we were in those early months of, you know, when school first shut down at the end of that school, that first school year, where nobody knew what they were doing. Nobody knew what was going on. It was chaos. It was terrifying. People were really scared of this unknown virus. Like we didn't have any information. Mm -hmm. So that also layered on a tremendous amount of like just panic and anxiety to add to all of these like logistical stressors. And on top of that, because of the inequity that has always been around forever between um, men and women, um, salary-wise, right? Women always make what is it like eighty-five cents to the dollar, something around. I'm not. I don't have that perfect, but um, it was most often the men who stayed. Like their job took priority. You were asking why is it that women ended up losing like we lost so much of the female workforce. Yeah. Um, They ended up being the ones, you know, they would try to hold on to their jobs for as long as possible and do both caretaking, um, teaching their children and their full-time jobs. Um, But then it just became an impossible battle to uphold both. And the person who made more income for the family was the one who ended up doing the job thing. And then the one who didn't took over all of the household, um, and teaching responsibilities and their job took either a back seat or like they had to do theirs at night, um, or work around the hours of children. And then like, eventually they're, they got let go. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was this like slow burn, um, just demotion of women, um, out of the workforce. And, um, and I watched it happen in real time via the stories that people were sending me and it was, um, demoralizing. Yeah. What was, can you remember like a story that you received that like really touched you in a, in a way that, Oh, I can't, I, I mean, I really can't say, exactly one, but what I know is that I actually, I became really depressed. Um, and I had to take a break. I, I, I was doing okay, you know, for a while. And then, um, 
And then I had to call my psychiatrist and be like, something's wrong with me. I, whatever we're on right now is not doing enough. And, um, I think it was the weight of these stories. Yeah. And I was just carrying it in my body. Um, I couldn't, I, I was, I felt everything that, that I was hearing and I was just so sad all the time. Uh, even just thinking about it now really makes me yeah. um, it's, feel a lot. It's, I mean, it's, I'm so sorry that you experienced that because it's to hold all of that pain to be sort of the vessel that everyone kind of puts, pours it into. I mean, one, thank you for even being willing to do something like that. Cause I think it really mattered and does still matter to people that there's a place for that. Um, but there's secondary trauma involved in that. Bearing witness to trauma is traumatizing. And mm -hmm. you can get, you can even get like PTSD <laughs> from not being the, the direct object of trauma, but being what we call sort of secondary trauma. So, you know, first responders, frontline workers, you know, the, the health professions during COVID, a lot of them have developed PTSD symptoms, not because they ever got COVID, but because, or, you know, went through, they bear witness to trauma so profoundly every day that they receive, they, they start to develop trauma symptoms. Mm. Um, and so it's not surprising that if you're constantly holding all of this for other people and bearing witness to this pain and this trauma that you too yourself can become traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. But I just, I just felt like, well, I'm so lucky, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I have a job that I love to do and there's no one breathing down my back and, you know, my husband's job is not being threatened and my kids, they're impossible, but they're still like functioning. <laughs> okay. Um, we can walk to the park, you know, it just, I felt extremely lucky. And so the least that I could do was offer my heart, you know, and my ear. So I felt like it was, I don't know, my job to take it on. Um, but then I wasn't a good leader for a while because I just wasn't strong. So, um, I had to figure out a way to create some kind of buffer. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're describing can be so easily paralleled by motherhood, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, obviously it's different. Parenting your children is hopefully not traumatizing, <laughs> but the, but, but this idea of like, I have to show up. I have, this is my job. I have to be here. I have to hold this space. If I don't, nobody will. Um, there's a lot of pressure riding on this and I can't let up. So I feel, and I judge myself for even thinking, can I take a break? How do I take a break? I'm a terrible mother if I'm thinking those things, right? So we put this pressure on ourselves. Society puts pressure on us to, to say like, hold this line. Don't let go. Everything's riding on this. And in a way it is, but in a way it's also okay to say, I need to take space. I need to take care of myself. I need to make sure I have, a, like you said, a buffer. I, I need to, you know, make sure that I'm getting my basic needs met before I can really hold this up for everybody else. And sometimes we do need to say, I need help. I can't do this by myself. Mm -hmm. And I think every mother can probably relate to that too. That's really, that is such a good point. That is exactly it. That is, that is, that is the feeling to a T. Yeah. Ugh. If anyone has not checked out Not Safe for Moms group, like you need to, because I feel like it's so validating to hear these stories. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk about this on the podcast, but you mentioned that you are starting your own podcast to take this sort of long form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was, and we were talking about this a little bit before we went live but um, I started, I decided I wanted to start a podcast because I, as much as I love telling the stories on Instagram, I find it, it's not as satisfying because you don't really get the full story. You get like a snippet of someone's story. And I was kind of longing for the full picture. I want to see a human being, 
you know, I want to know what they were experiencing before they became a mom. And, you know, did you always know you wanted to be a mother? And what, I don't know, what was your childhood like? And everyone has, everyone I feel, this is my theory, is like we we all walk through life thinking of ourselves as like the protagonist in a movie. And if I asked you, like, what's your big story? You'd be like, oh my God, I have a story for you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not everyone knows how to tell their story, but I'm really good at getting people's stories out because I'm a writer and I also love talking to people and asking them a million questions. Um, <laughs> but, you know, of course, some stories are more juicy than others. And the ones that we don't talk about are the, because we're ashamed to tell them. And mother's stories are the ones that are most often in the dark because there's so much stigma Mm -hmm. surrounding them. So what we see instead are beautiful mothers and put together mothers and boss moms. And we hear about how do you lose weight and how do you succeed and how do you become powerful? You know, how do you have a, a, a confident child? How do you raise a great family? And of course, like those are all wonderful goals, but along the way, there are pitfalls. And we need to hear about some of those pitfalls because that helps us feel like, okay, so maybe she looks like she's got it all, but like maybe she doesn't always have it all. And that makes me feel more connected to her because she's human. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like the people I made friends with as a mom were like the ones that I'd be sitting next to at the park and I'd be like, I don't know if I can do this for like another hour. And they'd be like, holy shit, me too. (laughs) And that would be my friend. Right. And of course we'd have moments where we'd be like, isn't this the best thing ever? Don't you just love it? But like, you'd also need to connect over the struggle. And if I met a mom who was like, Oh my God, little Jimmy is just like the most perfect, precious blossom. I'd be like, nope, not going to be my friend. Nope. <laughs> you know? And there's you your buffer. There's yes. your buffer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm really excited. I put a call out. And so anyone listening, I definitely I'm accepting submissions and we'll tell you how at, um, at some point in this episode. But um, I put a call out for stories and I am... Oh my God, I'm like up until one in the morning reading these submissions. They're so good because people have such good stories they want to tell and they can tell them anonymously on this podcast. So it'll be, it'll be really cool. I think that's so amazing because I I think obviously it's going to be fun and interesting and compelling to listen to. Like I for sure will be listening to this podcast. Like it feels like, like, you know, you want to hear these things. You want to know you're not alone. But also I think it's not just sensationalizing, you know, mom's pain. You know, it's not, it's not like schadenfreude or voyeurism. It's, it's, it's like, oh God, I feel so seen. Even Mm -hmm. if it's not your story, everyone's story is going to be totally different. But the fact that there is voice to these messy raw, real experiences that aren't just sort of Pollyannish and whitewashed that say like, okay, yes, of course, we all love our kids and we're we're grateful that we're parents. And also there are moments that are like really hard and messy and ugly and scary. And I think giving voice to that, pulling back that curtain is really powerful for other women to know they're not alone, even if it's not the same story, just the fact Mm -hmm. that there is a story. Mm -hmm. I think that parts of every story have something that like resonates. Mm -hmm. And, um, and unfortunately so many of these stories though have to do with power dynamics in, um, in marriage. Mm. And, there's a lot of like affairs and psychological abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not surprised at all because when people write in to not say for mom group, and I've said this before, the, the topic that comes up the most is my partner, my partner, my husband, my partner, my husband. It's like, that's what people write in about. It's not like, 
I'm worried about my baby. I'm worried about my kid. Mm -hmm. Like when you ask a mom, what do you really want to talk about? What's the secret thing? It's her relationship with her partner. Interesting. I wonder if that's also because there's like this double, we talked about like shame being something that makes us not want to talk about things and making motherhood beautiful makes us feel like we're supposed to love every moment of it. Um, but there's like a double layer of shame and we don't talk about our relationships. We don't talk about, you know, you don't talk badly about what's happening in the bedroom. You don't talk about these things with anybody else. Like, so there's like double shame. Yeah. And I also wonder if we now as a culture have put so much energy into the raising of our children, you know, attachment, parenting, helicopter, parenting, you know, whatever it is, tiger mom, parenting, tiger moms, <laughs> all these <laughs> dumb names. Um, but that we're so focused on the kid that we've like kind of lost focus on our relationships. Mm. I even said to my husband the other day, um, I was like, I just realized something. I am so full of like my energy is taken in helping our son regulate his emotions right now that I have zero tolerance for helping you regulate yours. Wow. That's such a powerful thing to say to somebody else. And it was hurtful too. It was kind of like, I can't, I don't have time for any of your bullshit. Right. Like our, our job in a relationship is to like help somebody, be there for somebody, nurture somebody, not do it mm -hmm. for them, but like, you know, be a springboard, a sounding board. Like you can yeah. be nurturing to your partner, um, balance them out when they need you. And I was basically saying, you will get nothing from me because I am busy doing this for our child. Mm-hmm. And it's the truth. It's just really, I am consumed right now. Yeah. But like, is there a world in which I can take a little bit off of focusing on the kid and give it to my partner? I mean, I hope so. I hope so. But I think that there is um, um, kind of this mar other martyrdom that we have as mothers right now in our culture, which is give everything to the kid. Mm -hmm. And even if it means sacrificing your marriage, it's mm -hmm. almost like valiant that we give everything. Yeah. And it doesn't like fuck him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and, it, and sacrificing ourselves. I, I think it's like, there's so much collateral damage in that way of showing up in parenthood. Um, and it's not sustainable because if you don't take care of your relationship, if you don't take care of your relationship with yourself in the long run, that's not going to serve your child either. No. Because you'll become a bit empty. <laughs> and yeah. then when your kid really needs you to help them regulate their emotions, you're going to say, I don't have anything left for you. I gave it all. To it's like the giving tree. Have you ever read that? I hate that book so much. <laughs> I mean, I love Shel Silverstein, but that book, oh, it's such Ugh. a terrible message. I like loved that book as a kid. Me too. It resonated so much with me. And I think I carried the message with me my entire life and felt like I was supposed to also be the giving tree. It's interesting. I'd be super curious to think, to hear, oh, I just had this idea. If like you pulled people from our generation who like grew up with that book and you pulled people, males and females and which character they identified with and which person they, they sort of t internalized in that story. And I bet you, you will find that the girls identified with the giving tree because that, and it's not just the book, it's everything that we've been through in our lives that tell us you're the giving tree. You're the giving tree. Where is that stump? I want to <laughs> see that stump. Like it's, we have to stop that messaging. It comes from so many places. It's not just one source and we've internalized it for generations. I mean, this is intergenerational transmission yes. of a traumatic message. Mm -hmm. Oof, that is a good question. That would be a great psychological study. Yeah. I don't know the, how much funding it would get. <laughs> <laughs> the giving tree fund. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but I want to 
sort of this, you know, I think this was very moving to talk to you about this stuff. I also can see how this episode could leave people feeling angry, scared, hopeless. And I really want to, I want to tie it up a little bit for people and be like, okay, yes, we talked about some stuff today that can enrage us. And it should, frankly, enrage us. If you feel enraged right now, I'm glad. I love you, but I'm glad. Um, But I think one of the ways that we can, like an antidote to that feeling of, I don't want this to be impotent rage. Like I want it to feel like directed rage. Like what can parents do? What can mothers do? What can fathers do? What can anybody do to feel like, okay, there are things that have to get changed. How can I play a role in changing that? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a couple things. I mean, one of my, my biggest belief is in talking. Um, I think having a conversation is the beginning mm-hmm. and we don't have enough of them. So that's why my goal is to start hard conversations that you didn't think you could have mm-hmm. because you thought that they were maybe too dangerous or like people might judge you. But I find that once you start having the hard conversation, maybe if you're the first person to speak and say the hard thing, more people will also come forward with their hard thing. And then you connect over that and it makes you feel lighter. Yeah. Because then you realize you're sharing in the hard things and you can support one another. Yeah. And I think talking, like I think, you know, you're on Instagram, you have a big platform. I'm on Instagram, I have a very small platform, but we've got these platforms, right? And we're talking to people. And I think it's really important to remember that like, you do not have to have a platform to have a conversation. Like when we're talking about having a conversation, I mean like to your friend, to your sister, to your neighbor. I remember, this is sort of different, but almost exactly the same. I had this really profound experience. It was my first year of grad school. It was probably the first month of grad school. Um, and I was walking to the subway with a, one of my classmates and I was like, Oh, where are you going? He was like, I'm going to go to my therapist now. And that was the first time. And this is, I'm a clinical psychology graduate student in New York city. Um, and that was the first time someone said to my face, they were on their way to therapy. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, that's amazing. I'm in therapy. I've never told anybody that. And I'm literally in the profession of helping people through therapy. And there was this like realization. It was like this light bulb moment for me, like, wow, I hold shame. And I'm perpetuating that shame by not saying in conversation, in casual conversation, oh, you know, when I was talking to my therapist about this or, oh yeah, I'm on my way to therapy. I'll catch you up after like just dropping that truth casually in conversation and how it changed everything for me in that moment. It was just a very random subway conversation. Like, mm-hmm. oh, where are you going to next? And I'm glad it happened exactly when it did, right at that beginning of my work of becoming a clinical psychologist, because I think that destigmatizing talking to a therapist or having any reason whatsoever to pursue mental wellness um, should be talked about. And so, but it's similar to that. Like you can drop it in conversation. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know what? My kid cried all night last night and I slept. I, did, yeah. I didn't go in. I was too yeah. tired. Right. That's true. I've done that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, For sure. And I'm, and I, and we need to just say it. Right. And I also think that forming groups is important. Like, mm-hmm. for example, nobody talks about um, having kids with special needs at my school. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's in the dark about what to do about it. So, like, you're all starting, you recreate the wheel each time for each kid. Like, what's, what's a, where, where do you go for speech? Anyone know where to go for OT? What's an IEP? And, and every individual has information once they go through it, and then nobody shares it. Yeah. Because there's no like group that's talking about it. And this could be for any topic that's stigmatized. Yeah. But if you said to one another, like, does anybody want to do a group about going through being the parent of a kid with special needs, like at our school, you'd have like 50 hands go up. Yeah. 
you could just like meet virtually on a Zoom or like in real life at a park and feel like, oh, I feel so seen right now. Yes. I thought I was the only one. Yes. And if anyone who's listening is a part of a mom's group like that, will you please reach out to me? Because I want to, I would love to do an episode with people who are in some type of group that share that information because I do think, um, that would be really helpful for other parents to hear because I mean, I get, I mean, obviously I'm in that particular realm of professional work where I'm working with families of children who are special needs or have learning disabilities or who have behavioral plans, all that stuff. But they're, yeah, like you said, everyone comes to me and they're like, well, wait, what's all this stuff I need to know? Um, and there needs to be more like centralization of this information. Or moms who are going through divorce. I have, I, right now, I'm putting together a list, just an email list to share with all the moms in Not Safe for Mom group, like moms who are going through divorce, who are divorced, who are solo moms, like, because they just want to know each other. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to like send it out and be like, hey guys, do something with this list. But like, I know you want to know that you're not the only mom <laughs> who's do, who is going through this. Like, yeah. you want to know that there's a group and you can bounce things off one another. Like, what do I do if I'm going through like a really shitty divorce? What if like, what do I do when there's like a terrible custody situation? You know, you need information from people. So I think that we can go beyond despondency, anger, rage, because we have other humans that we can reach out to for support and healing. And I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. Now, in terms of politics, in terms of like, what do we do if we're really pissed off about things like women's reproductive rights, um, rights in the workplace. Um, I think joining something like the Chamber of Mothers is a great place to start. You Mm -hmm. go to www.chamberofmothers.com, you sign up, and we will find um, a place for you to actually get involved in our group and align you with an action point that really suits your unique gifts. So Mm -hmm. if you're like a graphic designer, we're going to help align you with an advocacy group or an organization or something within our chamber that could really use a graphic designer's, you know, gifts. Um, So we're here to really um, use people Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the way. Like, so that you feel like you're actually doing something, right? Because we don't want to just sit here and be mad. We want to yeah. take action. Right. And I think there's something very different from like signing a petition to being assigned a project. Like that yeah. feels like, yes, sign petitions do that. But it, it takes, so it doesn't give us that sense of satisfaction, I think, that like accomplishing something tangible does. And like, but I, I mean, I speak myself, like I, I don't know how to get involved. And if I wanted to do a project, I wouldn't know where to start. So like, I'm excited about this idea of you being like, well, we'll assign you something we'll give that you, you something. can do. And yeah. it can be as big or as little as you're able to give. But like, then I get something that I can actually, it's like, I want to do the work, but I need someone to, to give me the work to do. Yep. Because otherwise have- it feels impenetrable. Yep. We also have direct links to how to email your senators how to call them, what to say. You know, this week we were really making a big push to, we, we had a direct line to every, you know, call your senator and say, we absolutely need paid leave in the Build Back Better bill now. This is urgent. It has to happen now. It has to happen before the end of the year. And we showed you how to actually like leave a voicemail, gave you, you know, the words to say and, you know, if you follow Chamber of Mothers on Instagram, you'll find tips like that. And we'll also connect you to other advocacy groups with um, action points. And it's a it's a great place to start um, if you want to be an advocate for moms and um, and moms rights and feel like you're doing something. Mm hmm. That's amazing. Well, we'll put, we'll link all of this in the show notes too. So people can very easily access all of these resources. Thank you. Um, oh, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a interesting and, you know, powerful conversation. I felt a lot during it. Me too. Thank you for making me feel that way. <laughs> Thanks for showing up that way. <laughs> 
All right. Well, um, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about the work that you're doing. So um, let's stay in touch. Yes, absolutely. So nice to see you. Yes, you too. What a powerful and honest interview. I loved speaking with Alexis and I can't wait to check out her podcast when it drops. As we spoke about in this episode, the power of community to help us feel seen and validated and connected is such a pivotal part of surviving parenthood. The early stages of life with your new baby can be a really isolating time. And on top of that, we have a pandemic in the mix, causing people to feel an even deeper sense of anxiety, loneliness, and burnout. But you don't have to do this alone. There are many places you can turn to for support. If you're feeling overwhelmed or just like you want to be a bit more grounded and informed, I encourage you to check out my virtual course, The Authentic Parent, Finding Your Confidence in Your Child's First Year. In it, I'll walk you through the fundamentals of psychology, neurobiology, and child development and help you actually integrate this new knowledge into your own unique family. This course is different from a traditional mom's group, which generally splits parents into a a very narrow margin based on their child's exact age. In the authentic parent, each small group cohort is made up of no more than 12 families, all in different stages of this early parenthood journey, from expecting parents to fourth trimester parents, parents to budding toddlers, or second or third time parents who perhaps want to do things a little differently this time around. Highly informed by the Montessori mixed age classroom principle, the group coaching calls included in this course create a space for more seasoned parents to share their own experiences and wisdom, allowing them to grow confident by helping guide others. And parents earlier in their journey are able to learn from the experience of their peers and get a deeper understanding of what they can expect, all while I serve as a moderator, grounding the conversations in psychologically sound and research-backed information. So if you'd like to take part in this, plus get lifetime access to six weeks of informational video modules, workbooks, reading lists, and an exclusive non-Facebook community to help you prepare for everything you need for your first year of parenthood and beyond, go to drsarahbren.com forward slash tap. That's D-R-S-A-R-A-H-B-R-E-N.com slash T-A-P and add your name to the wait list for the course beginning this February. Thanks for listening and don't be a stranger. Mm-hmm.